Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander, the crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Hey, thank you so very, very, very much. And welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Michael Pugh, the president and chief executive officer of Carver, Carver Bancor, the holding company for Carver Federal Savings Bank, a federally charted savings bank and the nation's largest publicly traded African and Caribbean American operated bank with approximately 670 million in assets and 140 employees. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Carver Bank's Michael Pugh is what's hot. Hello, Michael. Hey there, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. It's my pleasure. I'm glad that you were able to uh, make the time to be with us because I know you have so many things to do, uh, but it's so nice to, to have you. So uh, let's take the Wayback Machine and tell us where you grew up and, and how. Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to share. So I'm a native Detroiter. Uh, I grew up at a time in Detroit, Michigan, where the manufacturing industry was still a hot ticket. Things were uh, booming and the black middle class community uh, was doing fairly well there, uh, uh, primarily, again, because of the manufacturing uh, industry. Uh, had a great childhood and opportunity uh, there as I, I grew up. One of the key things that I think I learned from being in that environment and being in Detroit, uh, a Midwestern community was the, the value of community in terms of the impact. I saw many families that kept a close eye on what was happening in neighborhoods and there wasn't much that got past your parents if you were someplace you weren't supposed to be, uh, let me tell you. So, <laughs> yeah, I spent, you know, my undergrad education was there, uh, Eastern Michigan University, and actually cut my teeth in banking there in the Detroit, Michigan uh, area. Uh, it's a long story just in terms of all of the key components of a more than 30 year career. But what I can tell you is that it started based on a really important thing, which is understanding and discovering that financial education is a gateway to health. And the backdrop for that story is that uh, I initially, I, I come from a family of healthcare providers. And I remember many times at the dinner table where my family would have these great conversations talking about their patients, talking about health care. And so it was very much ingrained in me and I understood that uh, health care was a critical component of how we gave back to others, how we helped to make sure that, you know, uh, the neighborhoods, communities, people were doing well. Uh, so I got my undergrad education in healthcare administration and started along that journey as a physical therapy assistant while uh, continuing my undergrad education. Here's the reason that that's important. I learned an important thing about the life cycle at about 19 to 20 years 
of age. I was doing geriatrics PT. And many of my patients, I was the highlight of their day because I would go and get them. And so you got this happy kid that's, you know, just excited to be independent, making, you know, my own money. And I'm being the highlight of some of the patients' day. So as I bring them in and we're uh, working with a uh, physical therapist to get their treatments, the tough lesson that I learned was that uh, many times I would go home and as I came back, my patients had passed. And so I knew quickly that while healthcare is a, a very important sector, you have to be made for it. And uh, it wasn't necessarily the, you know, at that time, especially in my 20s, it was a, it was a tough lesson to learn about the circle of life. So I started to ask a really important question, which is, how do I still play a role in making sure that I contribute to health and wellness of others, but do it in a different way? And when I started my career as a part-time teller at a bank, what I quickly discovered is that through having conversations about money and decisions that you make with budgeting, it can really play a critical role in the overall health and wellness of families. I'll close this story out by just sharing with you. I was placed in a, a bank branch location uh, for uh, one of the institution banks there in Detroit, Michigan. And this particular bank, I was one of the first African-Americans to uh, actually be a teller in, in the bank branch. And when I initially started, some of the customers would come in and they, you know, some of them had no problem with saying, I don't want that guy to wait on me. Some explained a bit further why they didn't want me to wait on them. Others just said, you know, no. <laughs> and at that stage in my life, I was a bit too naive to be offended and mm -hmm. uh, more determined. Uh, so I, did, I didn't have the energy and time to be mad about it as opposed to determine. I made it my mission to win many of those customers over. And I can tell you that while getting to know those customers, I think I learned some valuable lessons from them, but they also learned some from me. Probably the most important thing is that people, when we really get past the surface of our skin color and complexion, and we really start to focus on the individual, there's a powerful energy and a great story to be told and so much to be shared. And through helping some of those customers get to know me, I think I was able to break down some of those barriers. And I can tell you over 30 years of my career, I've stayed focused on connecting with people in an authentic way, understanding that uh, financial education really can be a gateway to uh, helping so many to have much more healthier lives. What a story. That's a very nice story. Uh, you know, uh, lack of financial education can contribute to mental health. You know, can, uh, folks being stressed out and, and uh, so forth. So, so it's very important. So uh, how did you then get to New York? Yeah, so it's an interesting story that uh, I've moved around to, uh, in a few different states. Many of the roles and opportunities I've had in my career as a banker have been ones where I was either the first African-American to assume the role or uh, the youngest to have stepped in the role. And uh, 
you know, I've, I've been very blessed to have understood from the lessons based on um, solid family rearing that when an opportunity and a door is opened and you decide to step through that door, understand the importance of doing it with a level of responsibility to keep it open for others. And so uh, many opportunities that I've taken on uh, included relocating. Coming to New York was a pivotal time for me because I've been in Washington, D.C. as a president, uh, market president for a division of Capital One overseeing uh, Eastern Maryland, uh, D.C., and Delaware on the consumer bank side. And what I was starting to see was that the industry was just becoming much more difficult to bring people of color along the way. I would go into these large group settings, executive sessions, and I'd look around and I saw fewer people that looked like me. And there was a sense of awkwardness if more than two or three people that looked, you know, people of color got together uh, and started to have a conversation about the things that they were focusing on or how they were navigating. And I think what I then became challenged with is understanding or, or feeling as though as a person of color, I was spending a significant amount of time understanding other cultures, other backgrounds, experiences, but no one was asking me about my background, my culture, my experiences, and how those things all led me to the same table. And so I was introduced to, uh, at the time, the chairman and CEO for Carver Federal Savings Bank, Debbie Wright. I remember Debbie, yeah. Debbie, an amazing person. And uh, I had an opportunity to be her understudy for at least a couple of years. And I can tell you that when that introduction took place, I initially read her bio and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, she's extremely accomplished. This is going to be a really tough discussion. We ended up talking for more than an hour and the conversation had nothing to do with technical skills and background. It was all about people, how you lead, impact to communities, the things that you prioritize and care about. And I walked away from that meeting knowing I want to be a part of the Carver Federal Savings Bank story. And so uh, an opportunity was presented and I uh, was able to get my family to buy into doing this with me. And uh, I joined back in 2012. I initially came on board as a consultant for a period of time and then president chief operating officer. Wow. Okay, so um, I remember Debbie, she was quite a leader and um, quite accomplished, like, like you said. And I always wondered uh, why she left the bank because she was just, you know, so, so wonderful. So, uh, all right, so that brings you to New York City and you, you, you come to New York City and you are now the head of this wonderful community bank. Tell us a little bit about the history of the bank, how did it get started and why? Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's, it's a really important question. So Carver was founded in, you know, 1949 uh, and it was founded by a group of civic 
minded community leaders, these leaders saw a real need for us to form a bank to support uh, middle income people of color. During that time, if you can imagine, um, during that time, people of color did not have access to mainstream banking solutions. So many of the large financial institutions that we know of today, of course, they have gone through mergers and consolidations, but their, you know, uh, their initial parent companies didn't necessarily welcome people of color to, uh, uh, to bank there. And so these leaders said, we have to do something about this, and they applied for a charter to form Carver Federal Savings Bank. Uh, initially, when they did that, it was a state charter that was declined. And so then they filed for, uh, again, a federal charter uh, in, in Washington, D.C., and it was approved. And so from there, uh, we were able to launch our first office in Harlem. And uh, today we have uh, seven offices. Um, four in Brooklyn, two in Harlem, one in Queens, uh, along with a digital platform that allows us to have a presence in nine states from Massachusetts to Virginia, including Washington, D.C. So, all right, so now having a digital presence, and you mentioned those cities, can people outside of those cities open a bank account with Carver uh, since they're not in those particular locations that you just mentioned? Yeah, not yet. We're, we're still working on that. So what we, part of what we've tried to do, in fact, we lost our digital presence uh, in the nine states back in April, I believe of uh, 2020. And um, we saw that as an important component of the next chapter for Carver, because we know that many of our customers uh, and there's a large population of business entrepreneurs, people of color along the Northeast corridor of the country. Uh, so we saw that as an important uh, aspect for us to get started in terms of having a broader reach. And then we will certainly continue to look at uh, more states, but we it has to be a really safe and sound approach in terms of how we do this. I'm sure you probably know this and would believe it, but uh, the amount of cyber fraud that happens uh, in this day and age is something that frankly can be very scary for not only the customers, but financial institutions. And so as we're launching this digital presence, we're being very careful and taking it step by step. Because what we find is that for every one serious customer on the, the behind the scenes on the digital side that's very interested in Carver and our mission, there's probably at least one other one that's uh, uh, doing something that they shouldn't be and uh, actually not really interested in the mission. And fortunately, we've not been impacted negatively by the, those and knock on wood that that stays the course. But, um, you know, we, as we launch this digital platform, we really want to do it in a safe and sound way that allows us to learn about customer patterns and continue to be able to protect our customers. 
Uh, well, okay, so we're going to uh, take a short break uh, right now, and uh, when we come back, I want to ask you about some of the uh, tech updates for business that you guys have uh, uh, been involved in or working on currently. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say hello to everyone on Facebook who may be listening right now or watching us, I should say. And I want to remind them that uh, they can go to HarlemAmerica.com and see some of the wonderful articles we have currently uh, up on our website, some featured articles, and uh, you'll be amazed at what we're doing. And we'll be right back in just a brief bit with the president and CEO of Carver Federal Savings Bank. And his name is Mr. Michael Pugh, and we'll be talking about some of the tech business when we return. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my tech. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're with Michael Pugh, President and CEO of uh, Carver Federal Savings Bank here in Harlem. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Michael, uh, you know, George Washington Carver is noted for many inventions and, of course, uh, especially the peanut. He, he, he did so many things with the peanut. How is it that the uh, founders of Carver Bank decided to name the bank after George Washington Carver, a scientist? Yeah, you know, it really is a great question. And um, I don't know that there's any amazing answer or story behind it that would sweep anyone off their feet. But I can tell you that along the walls of our, uh, of our headquarter office, we have uh, some great pictures of George Washington Carver. And if you make the connection, uh, going back to one of the points that we touched on earlier, so Carver being founded in first bank branch opening in 1949, uh, the bank was technically founded in 1948 based on when the regulatory approval took place. 
So a period of when you were opening a bank branch in 1949 that was primarily focused on people of color, that was innovative. And it was brave. I think it required a high level of uh, integrity and thought leadership. Those are all things that embody George Washington Carver's uh, character and uh, just what we knew about him. Uh, and so I think that when the leaders decided that they wanted to name the bank, uh, they frankly wanted it to, to be named after an upstanding role model and someone that systemically changed the uh, way we looked at people of color in our nation. Let's talk uh, margins and, and your mission. Uh, how does Carver strike a balance between margin and mission? Yeah, so it really is a conundrum uh, for us in, in many ways because we are a U.S. Treasury-designated community development financial institution, a CDFI. So in order to obtain that CDFI status, at least 60% of every dollar that you have on deposit has to be reinvested in the communities that you serve. Today, approximately 80% or, or said differently, 80 cents of every dollar we have on deposit is reinvested in the communities that we serve. So we're passionate about our mission and we understand that in order for us to do it, you've gotta have margin, there has to be revenue. And so that's what we really focus on, making sure that we engage and encourage our community to bank with us. If you think about what's happening in the communities that we serve today, Harlem, uh, Bed-Stuy, the, the Atlantic Terminal area, um, it, Crown Heights, all of those communities are starting to see a, a shift in terms of a much more broader demographic uh, of people that are living in those communities. And so what used to be considered the community that Carver served uh, is now much broader, frankly, from the Latinx community to um, a much broader uh, community in terms of uh, uh, Europeans that have uh, are here for vacation periods of time and others, frankly, that have just decided to make these great neighborhoods their home. And so, what we really try to make sure that we do is connect our story to the economic impact of the neighborhoods that we serve. We know that when people decide that they want to be homeowners and they purchase uh, in a particular area, that area, in order for their property values to be maintained, that area has to thrive. So Carver plays a critical role in helping communities thrive. Some of the ways that we do that in terms of how we connect mission and margin uh, together is that when we talk about small business loans, we don't just look at the type of loan and whether or not the borrower has the ability to, to repay. We look at the jobs in terms of impact to the community. Um, so those are critical components. And sometimes I can tell you that if the borrower is right there on the margin in terms of credit quality, we understand that we have to be very thoughtful about that because we don't want to get in trouble with the regulators. But we will make decisions 
based on impact. Again, going back to jobs that are being added or social service programs and work that that business will be doing. And we will then take every step that we can in a safe and sound manner to help that business have access to capital because we know if we do that, then we ultimately are speaking to our communities and coming full circle. Those communities, as they become more diverse, they will continue to recognize that Carver is not your typical bank. We're a community development financial institution that really is much more focused on uh, growing wealth neighborhood by neighborhood. So the, the, so there's a real major benefit to banking with Carver than banking with the other institutions because Carver is more concerned about the community and the, the impact borrowing or the, the borrower uh, will have on the community as far as um, what they do with the money. Is, 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 am I saying it correctly or? Yes, I think so. And, and perhaps I would just I'll pull on that just a little bit more to give you a real life example. So the pandemic taught us that relationships from a financial services standpoint are really, really important. If you think about the ecosystem in many communities, um, many communities, the ecosystem is very much tied to the neighborhoods, the people, they know who the doctors are, they know who the accountants are, the bankers, the lawyers, and they have those important people in their community on speed dial. The reason that they have those relationships is because they then know in many other communities that through those relationships, services can be garnered for the community that allows those, those, again, communities to continue thriving. Within the African-American community, we perhaps have not always had that kind of operating paradigm as one that was being considered, and frankly, in some cases, being disadvantaged in terms of our starting point. Uh, so as you think about the communities and the neighborhoods that we serve, what we saw from this pandemic is that more than 41% of Black-owned small businesses were impacted and closed as a result of the pandemic. Why did that happen? That happened in large part because these businesses didn't have access to capital and they didn't have social capital in terms of relationships. Where you choose to bank can no longer be about the bank that's on every corner. It has to be about, do you have on speed dial a decision maker that can help you navigate through tough and uncertain times? And so through the pandemic, what we saw is that we were financial first responders. We helped many small businesses that went to uh, much larger financial institutions and applied for the Paycheck Protection Program, but through overwhelming demand, those businesses especially those with 50 or less employees, may not have made the first round and cut to get access to that funding. And so by the time that they were able to get to Carver, everyone, all hands on deck, was supporting our small businesses. I can tell you that 
through that Paycheck Protection Program, the two efforts, the combined stimulus. The results for us, more than $50 million in access to capital was provided to small businesses. So communities like Harlem that saw more than 15% of that, that uh, total amount was uh, in uh, these communities to help small businesses. The preservation of more than 5,000 jobs. And then we worked with uh, minority fintech companies to establish partnerships so that we were able to provide access to capital to more than 16,000 small businesses at a national level. And so I'll just close this comment out by saying, you know, when we unpack this really important question, relationships and social capital are really important in this day and age in terms of how uh, small businesses, first-time homeowners, and others will uh, be able to eventually uh, get access to capital and, and uh, improve their financial condition. So during the pandemic, then, it's correct to, to say that Carver Bank saved many, 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 many jobs. Absolutely. And we would do it over and over again. We've, we've played a very important role in terms of supporting small businesses as a personal mission for me. Uh, and one of the reasons that I remain at this wonderful organization. Okay, so let's stay on that topic a little bit. Uh, give us maybe three or four instances on how small businesses can benefit from having a, an account at Carver Bank. Yeah, so one of the key things that I would just give as an example is that we, we have a partnership with the MTA as an example that helps minority contractors gain access to bids for uh, projects uh, with the MTA. This is important because uh, women and minority entrepreneurs oftentimes have not been able to participate in um, public and private sector larger projects because they haven't had access to capital. This program uh, with the leadership of uh, Michael Garner and his team. Michael's a good guy, yeah. Yes, he is. Uh, he's an outstanding guy. This program has really afforded an opportunity to change the way that we look at women and minority business entrepreneurs in New York City. And uh, through it, uh, I, you know, I can tell you that we've provided millions of dollars in terms of access to, uh, to capital. If I think about public and private sector programs like that one, more than $23 million in access to capital has been provided uh, over the past few years. And then also when I think about our financial education components, so we understand how important that is, uh, and you know, I'll tell you in another sec segment sometime about my childhood stories with financial education and why they have helped to instill the importance of it with uh, in me. But but I would say to you that we've educated more than sixteen thousand people over the past few years through sm small business workshops, first time home buyer seminars. Um, financial education, credit, understanding credit basics and taxes. Uh, and so we've been very proud to do those things. And one of the other things that we're now starting to do uh, that we've been very excited about 
is branching out and working with historically black colleges and universities. We're in a test mode with it to learn from this program and figure out how we scale it to be much bigger. But two notable uh, HBCUs, uh, Medgar Evers and uh, Howard University have been important parts of this program. And so what it essentially does is we are doing peer-to-peer -peer learning. We have student ambassadors working with a certified financial planner for proper training. And they are then working with deans of the business schools of both colleges to go in and provide financial education workshops and seminars. We track the behaviors and the important lessons that are learned, and we help uh, the, the ambassadors with the tools needed to be able to be a part of this. And what we found is that by being able to help educate young adults at a critical stage in their journey, this is when they're thinking about their careers and they're thinking about their future. So we give them the tools at that pivotal moment. Uh, we believe that it will eventually tie back to a much stronger uh, ecosystem and economy for us all. Uh, but certainly as we think about closing this wealth gap that uh, is so important within the black community. Well, uh, you mentioned Medgar Evers. So now I understand it that the that President Dr. Patricia Ramsey conferred the coveted honorary Doctor of Humane Letters degree on Michael Pugh. So <laughs> how, how did that come about? And how do you feel about that, Dr. Pugh? Well, thank you. I, um, I tell you, I, I think on the same day uh, that I was bestowed that wonderful honor. Uh, five minutes later, after all the ceremonies, I still had to take out the garbage uh, at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was no special treatment uh, around it. But, um, but I can tell you, it really is an honor. And what it signals is, um, the, it, it, it truly signals how connected Medgar Evers is to the broader community. And so if you think about some of the things that they do, you know, they've been responsive during the pandemic with uh, food bank um, to help support not only the students on campus, but the community as a whole that people may have, that, that people, for people that were experiencing food insecurity. Um, and so that, I, in my opinion, I think that's not typical of what you would normally see in colleges and universities. And Megar Evers demonstrates just an incredible connection there. Over the years, it has been my honor and pleasure to work with them on various programs that have included things like women uh, entrepreneurs, uh, seminars and events to help bring women of color and uh, uh, women entrepreneurs in general together networking and helping them grow their businesses. Uh, we've worked with uh, uh, Mega Evers for internship programs and those programs have uh, really tried to center on getting uh, black students into tech fields since we know that those fields are extremely important. And in many cases for us as people of color, we are the innovators of uh, much of the uh, uh, trends that are taking place. 
the difference is that we don't always commoditize those trends. And so if we can get our, if we can get our young people in uh, technology fields, we think that that can be very important. And so there's a sundry of other programs and things like that, that, you know, have come by way of my passion for uh, helping youth and uh, growing uh, our community. And it is really special to have uh, Megar Everest, just take a moment and uh, recognize uh, the work that's being done. I, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't say that um, while it is certainly a passion of mine, it's also pretty special to be supported uh, by the Carver Bank platform that allows me uh, to be a part of many of those types of initiatives. We're about uh a minute and a half away from a, a short break, but I do want to congratulate you also, Dr. Pugh, on your being on the cover of Positive Community magazine uh, back in July. Uh, I mean, you know, that's, you know, being on, on the cover of, of the magazine and, and you look sharp, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's a great magazine. And uh, it, the name says it all. It really does focus on community and positive aspects of bringing people together. So uh, it was pretty special to be able to tell the Carver story and share my personal story. So ladies and gentlemen, listening to uh, West Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander and also uh, on our sister station, Voice America Variety Channel, and also on Facebook watching, please go and check out Positive Community Magazine and uh, it's the July issue, the summer issue. Uh, and you'll see uh, Dr. Pugh on, on the cover. We'll be right back after this short break. Please don't go away. And uh, we're on Facebook, so you'll see us talking in between the breaks. Okay? All right. Thank you so very, very much. Come back. The Foxworth Theory is what you need now. Hosted by Eugenia Foxworth. Each show brings a unique guest from many walks of life. From authors and entertainers to artists, fashion, music, and business, you never know what your takeaway will be, but you'll definitely learn something new. It's a whole new type of talk show. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Harlem America Digital Network and the Voice America Variety Channel. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America, the home of Coca-Cola Zero. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America.
You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to Alexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. And that's the lovely voice of Miss Kever Bernay. Thank you so much, Kever. Uh, we're back with uh, Mr. Michael Pugh. And uh, Michael, uh, I, Harlem America Digital Network was very uh, fortunate to be able to stream all of the Harlem Week uh, festivities this year. And um, I got a chance to uh, speak to you uh, at Harlem Week. But tell us, tell, tell our audience how Carver Bank got involved and the role that you played in some of the events. Sure. sure. So we were one of the sponsors for uh, this event. And uh, I think for the the broader audience, uh, everyone knows that Harlem Week is a really big deal. Uh, For the village of Harlem, it's an opportunity for small businesses, Uh, communities, people to come together. And in many cases for Harlem Week, it has drawn an international appeal. I'll tell you, we've had people from all over the world that have come uh, to the event. And so it's only befitting to have Carver Federal Savings Bank there. You know, our headquarters is on 125th Street and our our, uh, main office branch is located uh, there on 125th and Malcolm X. And so we're right here in the central part of Harlem. Some of the key things that we were a part of is, uh, you know, making sure that we uh, participated in the scholarship event. I love the fact that Harlem Week focuses on a broad spectrum of important issues that uh, include from healthcare to uh, education, um, small business entrepreneurship, arts and entertainment. And so we were able to participate in uh, being on site at the, on the big day uh, of Harlem Week, which was uh, uh, that Sunday, and uh, to be a part of uh, doing a presentation for scholarship. Yes, um, that was the, was that the great day in Harlem? Uh, there was yes. a great day yeah, in Harlem yeah. at, at, at Grant's tomb. Uh, by the way, do you know who's buried in Grant's tomb? <laughs> I, I don't no no <laughs> well <laughs> I, you know uh, a, a lot of people uh, don't know who's buried in Grant's tomb <laughs> but of course I'm sure you you know it's, it's, it's General Grant, Grant yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah but I, yeah. I was waiting for the punchline I right. thought there was a <laughs> Uh, I thought there was a joke that I was being set up for. So. <laughs> uh, and, and then we had Summer in the City. That was the event where I met you. Summer, uh, Summer in the City was the other event. And then we had another event called um, um, uh, Harlem, uh, Harlem Day, or I, I think it was Harlem Day. But in, in any case, they can go on HarlemAmerica.com and they can still see the uh, all of the events we, we we had them up there so that uh, folks who didn't get a chance to 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 visit uh, Harlem Week or those folks that live elsewhere and I understand like you just said that there were thousands and thousands of people from outside of New York City 
who uh, who, who viewed the, the the live streams. So yeah. Harlem Week definitely is a very big deal. Well, the uh, I, I want to ask you now about the uh, the tech updates that you guys have uh, uh, implemented in in Carver Bank. Can you talk a little bit about the tech updates? Sure. Um, well, I think one of the key things we're learning about technology is that it is just continuing to grow and change. And, and actually, I don't know that we're learning that so much as opposed to we've learned it and uh, trying to stay updated with it. So, you know, because we're a hyper local community bank, um, you'd probably be surprised to know that there's still a significant number of people in our community that just don't know about us, even though we've been here for over 70 plus years. And so what oftentimes you'll hear is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a great bank. They've got, they've got this important mission, but they don't have all the services. And we've spent a significant amount of time over the past few years really building out services to support the communities that are important to us, of course. Um, some examples include, you heard me talk a little bit about us launching our digital presence to be in nine states from Massachusetts to, uh, to uh, Virginia, including Washington, D.C., now having the ability to open an account with us and start your banking relationship. Um, other critical things like mobile app that allows customers to you know, you can go to the app store and find Carver Federal Savings Bank and download the app for uh, banking on the go. Uh, we think that that, again, is another really important way to help provide access. We've continued to think about the underbanked and the unbanked community because it's a significant portion uh, that remains here in New York. And so we have a program called Carver Community Cash that allows uh, this segment of uh, the community that does not have a traditional bank relationship, they can come to a Carver bank branch today, cash their checks, pay bills, send and receive money. And uh, we have been very proud to have this program available. We're one of the few banks that I know of in the tri-state area that has uh, any program that's somewhat similar to this. We think this is important because it's a gateway for many people that may be first or second generation Americans that are here. And what they've seen in the past perhaps is uh, in their home, their, their initial home countries that they may not have been as trustworthy of banks. And so as they're coming and now uh, uh, making, you know, Harlem, Brooklyn, Queens, their home, we want them to understand that you know, Carver has been here in the community. We understand what it's like to, you know, have the, the need to have access to banking and may or may not have had it. And we want to bridge that gap so that uh, the community can start to build a healthy financial future. We've seen as much as 15% of the uh, people that use Carver Community Cash start to build a savings account and build trust in a banking relationship so that they can move out of what is often seen predatory in the check cashing industry and some of these online lenders. Um, on the technology side, I can tell you, we just went through a core system conversion 
that system conversion was very important for us because it now allows us to automate a number of things. We recently updated our, our bank website. We've launched some other cash management services. And so there's continued work there uh, with lots of very exciting things underway. Say I'm a student. Uh, I am a student of quite a few things, but, but say I'm a student between the ages of 18 and 24. How, what type of service do you have for, for a student at Cover Bank? We've got, we've got a checking program for students that pretty much is free. You, the only thing that you have to uh, worry about is just making sure that you properly balance your account and you don't overdraw it. Um, the thing that we're very excited about, and especially helping students in the broader markets that we're in now, is that we also have two ATM networks that allow our students, allow our customers, all of our customers to have access to banking while on the go. Those networks, uh, one is called the All Point Network. That one can more conveniently be found in places like CVS, 7-Eleven. If you go into those stores and you look around, you'll see there's an ATM. Usually those ATMs are part of the network that we're now part of and our customers can use those machines without any charge from Carver. The second and very exciting uh, relationship that was recently formed was Wells Fargo. Our customers can now use Wells Fargo ATM uh, machines for free. We do not charge them to do that. So we're now giving our customers access to more than 68,000 ATMs. We know for students, that's really important. We've also uh, had for a couple of years, and it continues to be a popular um, uh, program for students, is our, um, our prepaid card. What we found is that many students, they receive their allowances or budgets are kind of allocated on the prepaid card. So it's a great way that if you've got, you know, you've got a family member that's in school and you don't want to give them all of the, uh, all of their allowance for the semester up front, you can put it on this prepaid card and make sure that they spend responsibly along the way. <laughs> well, that, that's very, uh, a, a very good tool for parents to have. Uh, uh, we want to also ask you, this illustrious career that you've had, and you've started out in health, then you went, became a bank teller, and now you've uh, risen to the uh, role of being the president and chief, uh, uh, chief operating officer, CEO. Uh, do you, is there anything that, that you had to give up along the way? Do you, ha you have any regrets? Uh, you know, that's such an important question, and um, I don't know that I would characterize my reflection and uh, looking back to say that there are regrets. I would say that there have been important lessons learned along the way, and it's, it's, it's a combination of our lessons, what you do with them, that makes a difference that becomes the deciding factor 
you know, regret gives you permission to stay in a space versus taking the lessons learned from it gives you permission to move forward and use, use that to do something different. And so I would say that uh, a wise friend once told me that you can have everything you've ever wanted, just not all at the same time. <laughs> and when you make a decision to become the leader of a community-based financial institution that is focused on helping to uplift communities of color, focused on reaching broader audience of people that include women entrepreneurs and uh, small businesses, all of which are important uh, in terms of the backbone of our nation. It's a big job. It's much bigger than just being the CEO of Carver Federal Savings Bank, because part of what I'm called to do in this role is think about how does Carver serve as a leader industry-wide in terms of helping small businesses, helping women entrepreneurs, helping people of color uh, to close the wealth gap. And I'll close this point by a supportive point, which is there was a 2019 McKinsey study that's highlighted if we could change and close the wealth gap with uh, the the wealth gap within the black community, we would improve the GDP for our nation by four to six percent between uh, by 2028. So if you think about something as important as changing the GDP for the entire nation, what it says is the work we do at Carver and this role I'm called to do and blessed to do is bigger than you know, just being the CEO. It's about taking my knowledge and being an advocate. Well, Michael, I'm going to have to leave it right there. This has been a wonderful conversation with uh, Mr. Michael Pugh, president and CEO of Carver Bank. And you have convinced me that Harlem America Digital Network is going to come down and become a customer of Carver Bank. So thank you so very, very much. Thank really you for your time. My it's a pleasure. pleasure to be here. Certainly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walked a mile in his or her shoes. And remember, life is tough, but you're tougher. I'm G. Keith Alexander. Thank you so very, very much for joining us here at Harlem America's flagship show, What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And uh, we'll see you next Friday at one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening.